0: of those who will spend time in prayer for whatever's going on in your life. and uh, Let's see, several things going on around here you should probably know about. First of all, if you are joining us online and you have little ones, we have sent out by email a uh, lesson plan for today's content for Hope for Kids. It's following along with our sermon series, so you can... Print that out or look at it, and there's some activities and thoughts and scriptures there that you can use with your kids at home if you cannot be here with us. Um, Then we have a Tuesday night Zoom Bible study that uh, (coughs) meets, well, every Tuesday night at 7 o'clock, and we are currently going through a series called What We Believe, and you can Zoom in and follow along if you'd like. Uh, if you want the actual material that we're using, you need to contact me, and I will get it to you. But uh, we'd love to have you join us on Tuesdays at seven. We have youth group tonight, five fifteen, right here. We will have some Bible study, some fellowship. We will feed you. It'll be a good time. Encourage you to come for that. Um, what else? You can find our sermons online. We have a men's night coming up in November. We have, yeah, I think that's pretty good. It's a good list. Any questions, comments, snide remarks? Yes, sir. Well, I just wanted to make a snide remark. You Well, bring it. No, you backed off? Yeah. Or you just didn't have one? You just like the idea of a snide remark? Like okay. Well, me too. It's my love language, so fire away, man. All right. Those are good voices to hear. Well, just c- keep coming. Keep coming. Keep coming. Have a seat. How are y'all doing today? So, I have a question for you. Have you, and if we have any other children, fifth grade or younger, they can come down at this time. I probably should have said that. But since you were already headed this way, I figured we'd just go ahead and start. So, there was, this, there was this man in the Bible whose name was Elijah. Can you say Elijah? Elijah. Elijah, very good. And Elijah was what the Bible calls a prophet. That meant that it was his job to speak the truth to God's people, whether they liked it or not. Okay? And so, Elijah, because he always told the truth, was not always very popular. He didn't have a lot of friends because, well, he always told the truth. Was that a lesson I want to teach? I don't think so. It's probably pretty, I mean, let's just be honest here. Um, So Elijah was a prophet, and he was not very popular. The king did not like him. And so one day, Elijah told the king, God has told me it's not going to rain, Unless I tell it, unless I say it's going to rain. So do you, how, do you think that would be, make you popular if you, if you stopped all the rain? Mila. No. Hey, Mila. Would it make you popular if you stopped all the rain? No. no, it wouldn't. And so Elijah had to go hide. And he went and hid. Do you know what a raven is? It's a bird. It's a black bird. All right. You can join the children's chat too, Madi. It's fine. So God sent the black bird to feed Elijah because Elijah had to be had to go hide because the king didn't like him, right? And then going even further, Elijah, well. We'll just leave it at that. So Elijah had to go hide. And who took care of him? God. Yes. And God even sent birds to bring him food, which is pretty cool. It's usually the other way around at my house. We take food and set it out for the birds. But in this case, the birds returned the favor and fed Elijah. God took care of him. Can I pray before you go to Hope for Kids? All right. Ready? Dear God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises that you will take care of your people and that you would even use a funny-looking black bird to take care of your prophet. It teaches us that you will use anything to take care of us. We thank you for those promises. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. We pray your blessing over these children as they go to Hope for Kids. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Lead them into a deeper understanding of your love for them through Jesus Christ. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Y'all have a great time in Hope for Kids. That's what siblings do, right? Will you all join me in prayer as we prepare our hearts for God's word today? God, our loving Father, we come before you this morning, and as we open your word, we pray that you would open our hearts. We ask that you would speak to us through your holy word, that we would leave here changed as a result of having met you through your word today. Lord, We lay at the foot of your cross, the burdens of our hearts, that we might be more free to encounter you here through your word. We give you our sins, our disappointments, our failures. And we thank you for the forgiveness, mercy and grace that are ours in Jesus Christ. We lift up those whom we know and love who are sick. We pray your healing mercies over their bodies. We give you thanks for taking care of our brother John Dunn this past week. As he was in the hospital, we just thank you that he's out and he's here and we are uh, gracious and are grateful for your provision over him. We um, pray your continued healing over his body as he recovers and we just pray your grace, your mercy, your healing over him. Be with his family as they uh, recover from a scare. We just pray your peace over them as well. Lord, we... um, lift before you those relationships in our lives that are strained, and we pray for your peace and reconciliation where it is needed. We lift up our country, our leaders at every level of government elected and appointed, and we pray that you would give them wisdom and discernment in the decisions that are before them. And Lord, we lift up our men and women in uniform, we pray that you would watch over and protect them. We pray especially for those who are in harm's way. We ask that you would bring them home safely. We lift up those who have returned home from their service to our country changed. We pray that you would use your church to minister your grace, your healing, your peace to their hearts, minds, and bodies. And Lord, we pray for your church here at Hope, around the world, that your word would go forth through your people and that it would not return to you empty. We think of... All the churches we're connected to through our denomination and through our missions giving and we pray for those missionaries that we support in Guatemala and Laredo and Cuba and Beirut, Lebanon and elsewhere in the Middle East and we lift up the church plants that are being established in Texas in New Braunfels and Katy and Austin and we just pray your blessing over those young works. Be with us now as we open your word, speak to us by the presence and power of your Holy Spirit. In your son's name we pray. Amen. All right. If you are not aware of what's going on around here, I'm going to try to bring you up to speed a little bit. Um, We're in the midst of a series of messages titled Ditched, and we've been exploring the way that God moves into those times in our lives where we feel isolated, abandoned, uh, forsaken, sad, uh, whatever that set of circumstances may bring, uh, we feel often alone. And so we've been looking at various characters in the Bible who have expressed in God's Word these feelings of isolation and loneliness, etc. And so we looked first at Adam and Eve, and then we looked at Moses And then we looked at uh, King David last week, and this week we're taking up a a look at the prophet Elijah. And I want to set a little bit of background for you as we get into this. The prophet Elijah, so you had King Saul was the first king of Israel, probably, and I'm just guessing John can correct me, but around 1040 BC, all right? And then David becomes king around 1000 BC, and then Solomon, his son, succeeds him. And then after Solomon dies, the kingdom of Israel goes into civil war as two of his descendants are fighting, vying for power. Well, there's all kinds of people (laughs) vying for power. And things degenerate into two separate states. So... You know, sort of like this country split into north and south at one point. The, the people of Israel split into two separate states. One state of Judah, where Jerusalem was, and another state of Israel, which was the other uh, really ten um, tribe, tribal provinces of the country. And those two entities, because they were so closely related, really never got along. And Elijah was called as a prophet in, in this time of, of division and turmoil and really a, a complete lack of, go- of godliness on the part of the leaders of these two different countries, Elijah is called as a prophet. And at one point, God tells him in chapter 17 of 1 Kings, he tells him, okay, no more rain unless Elijah says it's going to rain. So he puts his prophet on earth, in charge of the weather. And this is a a very significant move on God's part because the ancient people had their own gods that controlled, or they thought controlled, the weather. One of those gods was the prophet Baal. We often call him Baal because there's two A's in there. And Baal was a god who could either bring a storm that would provide rain or bring a storm that could destroy crops right around the harvest time. And so God gives his prophet, his mouthpiece on earth, power over the weather to demonstrate to everyone who's watching that Baal is not a legitimate deity. So Elijah then has to, because he's pronounced no rain unless I say so, He's not very popular, and he flees. God feeds, uses ravens to bring him food, provides a, a spring of water for him, if I recall correctly. Um, and then in chapter 17, this later in the chapter, he is fleeing for his life, and he st- he's staying in the home of a widow, and her child dies. And Elijah goes in and lays hands on this child, and the child comes back to life. This is a clear demonstration, again, of the power of God. God is vesting his power in his mouthpiece, Elijah, to demonstrate to anyone who's watching this man, what he says is my word. So Elijah is is involved in all of these miracles. Um, In chapter 18 of 1 Kings, Elijah is confronted with the, so the king and queen at this time, uh, her name was Jezebel, what was his name, Rahab, Ahab, one of the Habs, what, Ahab, thank you, um, Rahab, very different, yes, all right, um, so Elijah is in a confrontation with the prophets of this God, this illegitimate God, and he mocks the prophets of Baal. So there's one prophet in Israel and 450 prophets of this false god, and God tells Elijah, press it, press it, make this obvious. And so they have this confrontation. They each build an altar with an with a animal sacrifice on top of it, and Elijah says to the prophets of Baal, knock yourselves out have your God light it on fire. They're like, what? Uh Uh-oh. And so they start dancing and chanting and going into trances, and they start cutting themselves and splattering their blood on this altar to try and evoke or invoke the presence of their God to light this pyre on fire. Elijah just waits, and they finally tire themselves out, and I... Elijah says, Can y'all bring me some water, please? And he douses the altar to Yahweh, his God, with water. And then he just calls out and he says, God, do your thing. Bursts into flames. It's clearly obvious who God is. And at the conclusion of this, you find a very disturbing account of Elijah supervising or superintending the deaths of all 450 of those prophets. Now you might think what kind of God would do that but I want you to keep in mind a couple of things. First of all Elijah holds the office of prophet he has been vested with the authority of life and death on behalf of God and these prophets of Baal were not good people. Let me explain to you what would happen. So their God was supposed to control the weather, the storms that came in the spring to water the land and, and initiate the growing of crops. And their God was supposed to stop the storms in the fall so the harvest could take place before crops were destroyed. When those things were not going correctly, the prophets of Baal would get together in all these towns of God's people and they would begin to call for sacrifices. Give me all your chickens. We're going we're gonna to sacrifice some chickens. Uh, give me all your goats. And they would even, uh, in more ancient times and other regions of this area, they would sacrifice large numbers of pigs, ironically. Um, and this is one of the reasons that God, earlier in Scripture, had forbidden his people to partake of swine meat because he didn't want them involved in this pagan style of worship that would end with, okay, so if the chickens don't work, and the goats don't work, and the pigs don't work, and the cows don't work, what's next? Your firstborn was the practice of the prophets of Baal. Your firstborn. They would take your firstborn and sacrifice him or her on an altar. There's even a depiction of this god with goat ears and devil horns holding a baby right that's creepy that's not cool and so god has every right to stop the practice of infanticide among his people to to lay these prophets to rest once and for all to demonstrate that he is god and you're not going to kill my children all right, so that's what's really on a, on a macro scale, that's what's going on. Um, the Old Testament readers would have known all of that background. They would have known what the prophets of Baal would wind up doing in desperate times, and they would have had no problem with this uh, event. However, all of this leads to uh, chapter 19 in the book of first Kings. So I want you to just put yourself in Elijah's place. You have made yourself the least popular individual in your homeland. You have been fed by wild animals to sustain you. You've been taken you've been taken in by a widow, you've raised her child back from the dead, and then you have confronted and put to death four hundred and fifty prophets of evil. So you might think Elijah was kind of on a spiritual high, you would be wrong, and we'll get into that, but I want to I focus today on the fact that Elijah leaves all of this depressed, overwhelmed, and alone. So read with me through these passages in 1 Kings chapter 19, I'm going to start in verse 1 and read through verse 13. Ahab told Jezebel, that's the king and queen, that all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he rose. And ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree, the Mount of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. They seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in. The fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? So in 2008, Hope Church was meeting in a middle school cafetorium. You remember that dreadful place, yes. So poor Wesley here had to go to the middle school cafetorium Monday through Friday, and then he got Saturday off, and he got one extra day, in the Bush Middle School Cafetorium? Not, not you? Dang, <laughs> I was so close, so close. Um, so by the time you hit middle school, we had the, the machine shop over here? Okay, all right. So I had, at the beginning of 2008, I had five staff members at Hope. We had a children's ministry director, we had um, yeah, a youth director. Um, we had a full time administrative person, which was awesome. Um, and then we hired soon, early in that year, a full time associate pastor, who led our worship team, and among other things. And by the end of two, th- and we had we had like really strong giving. The, the giving at Hope was, was vibrant and good and healthy. By the end of 2008, I had to lay off three of my staff people, take a pay cut, hold on for dear life, and just pray that we would survive, that we would make it through the next chapter of our life uh, without having to fold, right? And it, <laughs> it was... Um, it wasn't like horse race finish line close, but it was close. I mean, it was it was touch and go there for a while. We didn't know how this was going to go. Um, Two thousand nine rolled around, and uh, there were some there was some a little bit of of I would call it normal conflict on my leadership level, um, and I was part of that problem. I was just not in a peace-giving, loving place. I was being kind of hard-headed and, and not very giving or, or yielding. And it all kind of came to a head in May of that year. And on the same day, I called a man in our presbytery named John Adamson. John lives in Memphis. And I called John. I said, John, I think we need help. What I didn't know was about the same hour that I made that phone call. One of my elders called John and said, Mr. Adamson, I think we need help here at Hope Church. So John grabbed a pastor who was one of my mentors. Who His church in Memphis has literally like 15,000 members. It's disgusting, right? <laughs> um, and But Craig, Craig was one of my board members, when we started Hope, before there was a Hope Church, there was just like Tom and Kathy and Dolores and Sydney in San Antonio, trying to figure out what God wanted to do. And so, both of these men, John is, a, is a, an elder at Second Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Craig was the senior pastor at Hope Church, Hope Presbyterian Church in Memphis, and they both got on a plane. As soon as they got that call, and they flew to san antonio the first thing they did was they sat down with me and they said what's going on what's how you doing um craig the pastor looks at me and he goes i don't even have to ask you any questions you're burned out man you're dying here and i had just been i just my brother had been in town i might break up on this one but we had gotten together he had had a, something work-related here we got together out in the afternoon we sat down and within 5 minutes my brother who's known me my whole life he goes what's wrong with you I'm like I don't know he goes well your joy is gone I was like what he goes yeah I can tell your joy you're my joy guy and it's gone your well is empty you're drawing up empty buckets what are you doing and it was it was actually that next week that John and Craig flew down from Memphis. And there, they sat down with me, they sat down with Kathy and I, they sat down with each one of our elders, and then they sat down with us as a group. And then they, they said, give us a week, and we'll be back. So they went home, came back the following week with a set of recommendations. Among those recommendations was a, not a recommendation that said, that guy, that Masterson guy, needs a break. He gets, he's taking a sabbatical, whether he likes it or not, three months. I'm like, three months? What am I supposed to do for three months? Well, it went by really fast um, <laughs> for me. <laughs> um, but my wife and I were, were sent by our pre- – so this is, this is denominational connection at its best, Right? They're not. They're not coming here to, to, you know, issue mandates. They're coming here because they care. They assess the situation with wisdom and discernment, and they say, "You need a break. You and your wife are going to Marble, Colorado, to a two-week retreat center for ministry couples." And uh, then they sat down and helped our elders kind of plan out how to how to handle things in the absence of their pastor while he was on sabbatical and we got to Colorado and we sit down with this counseling couple they're both the husband and wife are both counselors and they sat down with Kathy and I and we they listened to us they ass- kind of were there to assess what was going on and at the end of the first meeting the the counselor the husband looks at me and he goes okay um I'm diagnosing you with clinical depression and you uh, you need you have a couple of decisions you need to make. I was like, okay. He goes, come back in my office at three o'clock and we'll talk. It's like, all right, so we went out to lunch and I came back in his office at three o'clock, just me. And he sits down, he goes, I've got one question that will determine whether or not we have any more questions. Um, I was like, okay, what's that? He says, what do you want? It's like, what? He's like, what do you want? I'm like, in relation to what? Because that's a long list. <clears throat> he said, do you want do you want to be the pastor at Hope Church? I was like, I am the pastor at Hope Church. He's like, yeah, but do you want to be the pastor at Hope Church? I said, absolutely. I, I love those people. It's, I get out of bed every morning knowing I would, I'm doing what I was put on this earth to do. It's a great feeling. Um, yes. He goes, okay. Well, then our, our session is done. Go go back to your room, get your fly rod. I'm going to write you out directions to a trout stream, and you're going to go stand in that strout, trout stream until sunset. It's like, "Yes, sir." <laughs> but as I was reading this passage, it sounded a lot like, "What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? What do you want?" So, I I tell you that because I, I think we've all been here. Depression is part of the human condition. And you probably know people who just don't have time to be depressed. But when the time slows down and they are given time, things can catch up memories can come back I think depression is universal to the human condition and what I'm gonna say today is not is not a a treatment for clinical depression that's not what I'm trying to do if you have clinical depression go see a medical professional get some help and assess get a plan for treatment right Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean anything just get some help but on the on the human side of this that's where i want to begin is sort of that we all must acknowledge how human we are so here's this elijah who's just like raised stopped the weather raised a child from the dead defeated in a in a standoff with the prophets of baal he's he's his God lit his altar on fire in an instant. His wet altar on fire in an instant. This guy is obviously being used of God. And then the queen threatens his life and he runs like a child as far as and fast as he can. And he's scared. And, he's, and I want you to notice some things, right? So, we... As God's people must learn to resist being driven by fear. It says in verse 3 that Elijah was afraid. Then he was afraid and he took off. Now, what should Elijah have done? Prayed. What else? trusted the Lord, did he have any reason to be afraid, any rational reason to be afraid? I mean, he was threatened by an authority that has the power of the sword, right? So there was a rational component to his fear. But had God not just demonstrated to him his power, his faithfulness, his love for him, and he ran? Because it doesn't matter what office you hold, you and I are still human. We are still very, very human. And this is what we see. And the reasons that we should not be driven by fear that we see here is it shifts our focus to the wrong thing. Elijah is focused on the power that Jezebel has over him as a civil authority. He's got his eyes on the wrong prize. He's running from someone who has a certain degree of power, but he's not running toward the one who has supreme, eternal power. His focus gets shifted in his fear, and we're reminded here that fear is a terrible motivator. It always sends you in the wrong direction, away from the heart of God, away from the will of God, away from the people of God. And that's what we'll talk about next, is is if we're going to resist being driven by fear, we must also resist the slide into isolation that comes with our depression. As a pastor, this is one of the most frustrating things I deal with in the pastoral in, individual pastoral care side of what I do we're all human we all face times of depression and when someone's depressed they frankly don't wanna be around anyone else and so I can try to reach out and I'll get this nine times out of 10 or 99 times out of 100 but I do the same thing I don't really want you to know how I'm doing to really sit down and unload I just want to keep going I want you to mind your own business I want to be alone or left alone and this tendency this slide from our state of depression into isolation is so natural and so human and so normal, it's really frustrating. So you were made to be in community, to have people who see that something isn't right, who say to you you've lost your joy, who who say to you what's wrong with you, not because they they're taunting you but because they love you and they can tell that something's not okay. You were made to be in community and Elijah moves away from any sense of community God had given him and into isolation and then we see that this isolation, this being alone only deepens our depression. So Elijah runs he hides a broom tree is kind of like a mesquite tree without the thorns it's it's uh, it's a it's open at the at the trunk and then it spreads out widely uh, in wispy branches all across the top and it's easy to get under there's plenty of shade and and all ancient people in this area knew how to chase shade I was in st. Louis for a little while and I Pull in, I'm pulling in a parking lot, and I see this car pull into the one shady spot and park, and they and I park next to them, a little bit angry. Um, and, uh, and they get out, and I said, what part of Texas are you from? She looks at me, and she goes, um, Abilene, how did you know that? she had Missouri plates on her car. And I'm like, I, I was born in Texas. I know how to chase shade. Like, you took my spot. Every Texan in this, only a Texan would, would go that far out of their way to park there. I knew you were from Texas. She was just like, that's incredible. I have never, like, whatever. Um, but ancient people knew how to find shade. That's what Elijah does. He goes and lays down. And so... To anyone of our military community who's listening to this, I want you you to see this. What has Elijah just been through? War. The death of 450 people that he has supervised, if not participated in. And He's human. We are human. And so you're in the military. You get deployed. You have missions. These missions inevitably result in the death of enemies. right? And all all military personnel carry with them some element of that. Those who are closest to it probably more so than others. But you can't, you can't be in the military and not be responsible for the death of enemies. Even if you're a doctor, you're still part of an organization that is administering justice in the form of death to people who are our enemies. This is no small thing. And Elijah has just come from the front lines. He's exhausted. He's afraid. He's running for his life. He's being pursued. He's listening to all the wrong voices. He's in, he's in the throes of PTSD is what we would call it today. And he's so depressed. He actually asks God to end his life. I, I hope. This helps all of us understand and have compassion for our military veterans for the unacceptably high rate of suicide among that community. They, they are dealing with real issues and they are all human. Totally human. And we all need to know that being alone only deepens our depression. It's not good for us. If you ever run into a Vietnam vet, please say welcome home. They didn't get that when they came back from doing a dirty job. They didn't get that. I was recently doing a, a funeral out at Fort Sam and there was a there's an honor guard that comes out to sh- fire shots, volleys in honor of their deceased comrade in arms. And most of those guys are Vietnam era vets cuz that's the age of retired military or re- you know, retirement age. They they're volunteering to be out there. And I was sort of walking by the honor guard as they were getting ready and a guy comes up late, comes r- kind of running up late with his some of his stuff still in his hands, and he gets up to the group, and one of the older guys goes, hey, Harry, welcome home. And I was like, that was weird. And I asked the, the Fort Sam funeral director, you know, runs these things. He goes, oh, yeah, that's how they greet each other because they didn't get that when they came home. So there's every time they see each other, every time, he goes, I hear that every day. That's how those guys greet each other, welcome home crazy, right? We're human. In a way, we're not cut out for the realities of this world. We were created for harmony, peace. (laughs) I love that old horn. Um, We were created for being in community with God and with others, not for death and disharmony and discord, violence, etc. But if we're going to be real about who we are and what we need, we have to start by acknowledging how human we are. The next thing we see in this passage is the call to wait for God's provision. How good are you at that? Because I'm not very good at it. Okay? Go back to point one. (laughs) I'm very, very human. But to wait for God's provision, we need to know that he will give us the nourishment that we need. Elijah was alone in the desert, and an angel brought him cakes that were cooked on rocks and jars of water. This angel reminds us that our true strength and nourishment are spiritual, that it's God caring for us, filling us, nourishing us. We're to look for a spiritual source for the nourishment that we need. And verse 6, sorry if this is too real, sometimes we just need a nap and a snack. Right? I mean, look where Elijah is in verse 4, and look at what God does. Just have a snack, take a nap, dude. You're, get, you're being way too drama, okay? You're a little too extra here. Take my life. Are you serious? Are you kidding me? Have you seen what I've done through you lately? And, and Elijah's like, yeah, I saw it firsthand, and I'm I just I would like to just check out now. God says, just have a snack, take a nap, we'll talk later. God will give us the nourishment we need, sometimes spiritual, sometimes very practical, and he will give us the hope that we need. God reminds Elijah that he's not finished with him. No, you cannot check out yet. That day will come. But for now, there's work to be done. There's my will to be fulfilled. I'm not finished with you. And in fact, I'm going somewhere with you. Verses 7 and 8 demonstrate to us that God has a plan. So in verse 8, can I just point out that Elijah arose, he ate and drank, and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, The Mount of God. There is so much packed into that verse. I just want to stop on a couple of points. 40 days, 40 nights. All right. That evokes two ends of the redemptive spectrum. You got Noah, the rain, the flood, and you've got Jesus and his temptation in the desert. Right. Where he was actually tempted with probably the same type of thing Elijah found here. Bread. And what did Jesus say? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. So, you have these, then you have Horeb, the mount of God. This is uh, controversy, right? Uh, There's scholars who disagree on this, but Horeb is either the same mountain as Sinai, or it's the mountain right next to Mount Sinai, where Moses would have received the Ten Commandments. And when Elijah gets to Mount Horeb and he hides in a cliff, there is in great likelihood that's the same spot where Moses was hidden away when the presence of God came and spoke to him. So, what's going on? Sometimes the Bible is subtle. Sometimes it's screaming at us. Right here? When it drops 40 days and 40 nights and Mount Horeb into the same sentence, it is screaming at us. Like this is something big, and it's pointing to something bigger. So we want to pay attention. We want to try to understand what that something is. And we're going to use that as the basis for this next, for this third point. First, we're to acknowledge our humanity, how human we are. We're to wait for God's provision. And we're to look for God's purpose in our life. That 40 days, 40 nights, Mount Horeb, this is screaming, I have a purpose for you, I have a plan for you. This is part of a much bigger picture that goes way, way back to before you have any memory and way, way beyond the present. This is big stuff. And God says to Elijah, what are you doing here? This is God's attempt to evoke from Elijah a sense of divine purpose. And of course, Elijah just whines like I would. Well, <laughs> they beat me up. They were mean to me. Um, we have to know where we're coming from. We have to be honest about where we are. We have to look toward where God is leading us. God is taking a broken man who happens to hold the office of prophet and he's preparing him for something far greater than what he can see in front of him. What are you doing here? I ask you, what are you doing here? Well, there's several ways to attack that question. Uh, One answer comes from, I don't know, the 17th century. It goes like this. You're here to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Are you enjoying God? Are you enjoying your relationship with him? If you're not, you should be. You're doing it wrong. We can help. Lighten up. Focus on the God who loves you. We are made to enjoy our creator now and forever. John just had a week where he wasn't always enjoying God <laughs> still still not fully enjoying God um, we've all been there, but that's our that's where he's going with us is to get us back to that place where we are enjoying him to remember that what we are doing here has a divine purpose. God is not finished with you in fact he's going somewhere with you. so what are you doing here? And if you're going to look for God's purpose in your life, you need to also ask yourself this question, who are you dealing with? I'm sorry, Sherry, with whom are you dealing? Um, You're dealing with the almighty God. You might have missed something in this story, um, but you remember the band from the 70s, Earth, Wind and Fire, right? That little trifecta, that combination, is an ancient pagan worldview. That the earth is made up of earth, wind, and fire, some would add water, and that there are gods that control all of these elements of our world. And what God is showing, not to Elijah, who already knows this, but to us and to all the people around him who would hear this story, He's in charge of the wind. And when he shakes that earth, he's in charge of the earth. And when fire breaks out, he's the God who's sovereign over that too. God, The God who shows up in front of Elijah is the all-powerful, supernatural, eternal, holy, righteous, divine Yahweh. Don't mess with Yahweh. And all other excuses for God's pale in comparison to this display that's put on for Elijah. But how does God speak to him? In a whisper. Who do you hear whispers from? Children. Neither of my daughters should say lovers. What? what? Maybe a gossiper. Come on, Ralph. I'm looking for the positive here. Your spouse, your lover, parent in a sweet moment, librarians. <laughs> done. Right there, Wesley. That was it. No better image of God than a librarian. All-knowing? All what? He does have his own book. I've got one. He gave it to me. Yeah. Okay. The almighty creator God of the universe. That's who you're dealing with, and guess what? He loves you. And so I want to leave you with this challenge. I want you to fill in the last blank. Who are you dealing with? The Almighty God. And what do you need in that blank? Caring? Understanding? Compassionate? Loving? You fill it in for you. Whatever you need from God is what you can put there. I want to read you a passage from the Gospel of Luke. So this is a few chapters after Jesus spends 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness without eating. And then there's this episode which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Holy wow, Batman. So, Jesus is transfigured before the eyes of his apostles and seen to be standing with the only two men Who have hidden themselves in that cleft of a rock and heard the voice of God. What God was doing with Elijah was setting up the coming of his son, the arrival of his Messiah. And what were they talking about? They were talking about how Jesus would depart from this world about his crucifixion and his resurrection and his ascension to the right hand of God the Father Almighty. We all get depressed. Resist the slide to isolation. You were made for community. And you are a child of God Almighty who also loves you dearly and wants you to see what his son has come to do, to lay down his life for you, to give you forgiveness and joy and hope eternal, to renew your heart to the place where you are enjoying God now and his family to take you from wherever you are to where you truly need to be. Take his hand. Go with him. He loves you. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we marvel at your word, at the ways in which you weave together the pages of history toward one purposeful end, the death, resurrection, and ascension of your Son for us, that we might be forgiven, that we might have hope, that we might benefit from the strength of his position before you. Lord, lift our heads from whatever our current reality is. Help us to see you, your love, your purpose, your will, your joy. Renew us and restore us to the place where we are glorifying you and enjoying you now and forever. It is in Jesus' holy and precious name that we pray. Amen.